Let's give a hand to our praise band. They're really uh, doing a great job for us. And thank you for uh, putting your heart into the singing. If you're going to sing, you might as well sing with all you got. And uh, give God praise. My goal this week is to try to teach you something about the goodness of God and the importance of the pursuit of goodness. And another word for that would be righteousness. There are some complications along the way. Obviously, every one of you have already experienced the struggle inside yourself. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever had the ambition to be perfect. Uh, not, not in the uh, emotionally disabled way, where they would call you a perfectionist. You know, some people struggle with that. They, they everything has to be perfect, and and usually the result of that is they never get anything done, because they can't get it finished right, and it's terribly frustrating to them. But there is a goal uh, for all of us that we would be righteous. This is what God wants from us. He calls us to be like Himself. He says, Be holy, for I am holy. So that, that's a legitimate goal for human beings. But we all, after not very many years of life, we all realize that we have feet of clay. We have corruption in us. And uh, so I'm going to pray, but then I'm going to start back where we finished this morning, back at that discussion Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And we're going to go on from there. And we're going to be laying down some theology. Okay, so I want you to hopefully hang with me tonight. Uh, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for those sweet songs of worship. And uh, Lord, we just do confess tonight that you are good. And you're good all the time. And Lord, we, we confess to you that we fail to appreciate it. We often spend a lot of our time complaining, Lord, about all the things we don't have and how things didn't work out the way we wanted them to. We, we act and think and speak sometimes as if you weren't good. And Lord, that, that's sin on our part. Forgive us for it. Because Lord, you certainly have treated us better than our sins deserve. We thank you, Lord, for the mercy that you keep pouring out, that you've poured out in your own Son, Jesus Christ. So forgive us one more time. And Holy Spirit, come and help us as we study the Word of God tonight, that we would grow in our faith and our love for you. Be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Now this morning... We were speaking to you from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 18. And I don't know if any of you caught it, but I told you that there were two problems. And I mentioned one of them, and I never mentioned the second. And this has to do with when Jesus re returns to this man. The man ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That, by the way, is a good question. Uh, every one of us are mortal. 
we are going to die. And this, this is the most profound theological question any human being could ask on this side of death. Since death is inevitable for all of us, uh, it might be wise on this side of dying to get this answer, uh, to get this question answered before you get to that point. Now, some people say no one can know this. It's impossible to know if you're going to go to heaven after you die. It's impossible to know if you have eternal life. But that is contrary to the whole New Testament. Uh, the, the, the scriptures teach us uh, in, by, in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John says, these are written that you might know that you have eternal life. And Jesus said, to, to know me is to have eternal life. And so the rich young ruler asks a, a legitimate, a very good question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then, we, as we spoke about it this morning, Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And I told you the first problem with that is it appears as if Jesus is saying he's not good. Not as good as the Father. That he's not as good as God. But if you look closely... He never says that. He just lays out the challenge of the question. Why? Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. So, in other words, another way of answering that is, oh, yeah, there is none good but God, and you're Him! That would be one way of approaching that. Now, here's the other part of the problem. Have you ever known anybody who was good? Now, the other night, I asked you to think of the best person you knew. And by the way, uh, one of the, I wanted to follow up on that. I, if you can remember who you thought about the other night, and I asked you for some words to describe them, I would like you tonight to pray for that person. I would like you to thank God for that person in your life. Okay? So can you just put that down as a homework assignment? That every one of us should remember one person in our life that we thought is the best person we know, and we should pray for them tonight and thank God for them. Okay? Got that? So here's the question. Have you ever known anybody who was good? Now, now here's, a, here's a harder one. Have you ever known anyone who was not a Christian who was good? How many say yes? Raise your hand. Okay, put them down. How many say no? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, now here's the problem. A lot of us go to church. We go to Sunday school for a lot of our lives. We're taught maybe at home. We have devotions. We have a home training by our parents. We, we get into the scriptures. And if you are Reformed, if you are Presbyterian, if or if you're just a Calvinist, or if you're theological, you have a problem with the idea that anybody's good. And uh, it, it, I want you to know that that leads to some complications for us. Some young people get that doctrine down. That they think, you know, Jesus said, no one is good but God. And therefore... 
everybody I know is no good. And now I go away to college, and maybe I go to a secular university, and I meet people on that campus, and I meet some people who are Christians. They, maybe they're in a campus crusade, or crew, excuse me. Maybe they're in Navigators. Uh, maybe they're in RUF, Reform University Fellowship. Maybe they're in campus outreach. Maybe, you know, maybe they're in some inner varsity. Maybe they're in some ministry here on this campus. And then I meet non-Christians. And I compare them. And sometimes the non-Christians come out better than the Christians. What? (laughs) Did I just speak heresy here? If you grow up with this concept that there is none good but God, what do you do with the evidence in front of your face that non-Christians are sometimes doing good. And that personally, that, as I read this text, that's one of the things I struggle with. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus, what are you saying? And I started thinking, is there anywhere else in the Bible, is there anywhere where, where anybody is ever called good? And, you know, as a matter of fact, there is. In the book of Acts... Think, wait a minute, let me read, find where I wrote the text now. Chapter 11. And by the way, Acts was written by Luke. Same guy wrote both, both of these. So you would have think he would have been consistent, right? Chapter 11, there's a story of a man named Barnabas. Starting at verse 22 of chapter 11. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now here it comes. For he was a good man. For some of you women who think there are no good men, right there. (laughs) Black and white. Proof. At least at one time in history, there was one. He was a good man. The Marine Corps are looking for a few of these guys. Okay? A few good men. Now, I'm just doing this to show you that when you look at Scripture you have to make sure you compare Scripture with Scripture. That's how we interpret Scripture. So, it was Jesus here declaring, there is no goodness in human beings at all. No, that is not what he's declaring. We, this, this concerns a doctrine we have, in, we talk about in theology, and it's called total depravity. Total depravity. And... Total depravity uh, springs out of the scripture. And this is one of the texts that would would show that, that every human being, every human being born except Jesus himself, was born in sin. Now, let's look at a few texts that talk about that. Uh, One is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start there. So if you got your Bibles, you need to do a little work with me tonight, okay? I see some of you don't have your Bible. 
Set right. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, try to make a note. Oh, some of you don't have a pad or a pen. You people. Hell awaits. Right here. What? It does await. I'm not saying you're going there. Possible. Okay, Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is that? Satan, the devil. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, say amen. Amen. Now, what this does is it paints the picture of all humanity. All right? Every human being, before they are awakened by the Holy Spirit in what is known as regeneration or being born again, every human being is dead in their trespasses and sins. And when you're dead, it means this. You're not alive. Okay? It's very profound. When you're dead, you're not alive. What, what, what are you not alive to? You're not alive to God. And you were dead in what? In your trespasses and sins. So that means that you were not good. So when Jesus says there's none good but God, this is very much in line with what he's saying. That this is our spiritual state before we are saved by Christ. Now you might say, well, that's very insulting. I, you, know, you might even be not a Christian yet here tonight, and you might say, wait a minute. There are times in my life I have been good. There are things in my life I've done that were good, that are good. And here's one of the things I, I want us all to understand. I agree with you. The Bible agrees with you. The Bible is not saying that unbelievers and non-Christians never do anything good? What a horrible world that would be. Can you imagine if every human being on earth was as bad as they could possibly be? Now, why aren't human beings as bad as they could possibly be? Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is that, not, that this is not the only truth about human beings. It's also true that every human being has been created in the image of God. We call that the imago dei, all right? The image of God. Every human being. And therefore, every single human being on earth has worth and dignity because they have been created in the image of God. 
So here we have two realities. Every human being, dead in their trespasses and sins. Every human being, created in the image of God. And with the image of God, every human being experiences, to some or greater or lesser degree, the grace of God. We call it common grace. Uh, today, this afternoon, did it rain? I saw some strange people out there playing in the rain. Some, you know, I just, I couldn't understand it. But they're out there. Now let me, I don't know who was actually out there in that line. I don't know all of you personally. But let's just imagine, in that group of people who were out there in the rain, there were some good people and some bad people. Okay? I know you're saying, why can't we all be good? I, that's a good question. That's your problem. <laughs> say, but just say there were some good people and bad people. Who did the rain fall on? All of them. And this is one thing the Bible says. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the bad. God blesses every human being. We all experience, you know, if you think about it, what a fantastic planet we're on. Is it not marvelous? Amen. Does not astronomy continue to show us how special this planet is? Now look, I'm not saying there aren't green people somewhere else, okay? I don't know that stuff. But I am saying we ain't seen them yet. All right? Maybe if you live in New Mexico you have, but you know, the rest of us <laughs> have not seen them yet. But if you, all everything we know about space, this planet is awesome. It's got an atmosphere that we breathe. It's got water. That is so unique. They keep trying to find some other place with it. But it's here. All of that, the Bible declares, is for our benefit. And every human being gets to share it. Now there are rich people and there are poor people. There are healthy people and there are sick people. There are people with uh, technology and people without technology. There are beautiful people and there are ugly people. There are people who come from great families and people grow up with horrible, wrecked families. But no matter where you come from or what your name is, your situation, you still live in an environment that's a blessed place that God has given you. What I'm trying to say is that's common grace. And part, along with the, the bounty that we all enjoy are also some personalities and some inclinations and, and some natures that are better than others. In other words, there are nice people in the world. And many of them do not know Christ. Many of them will show you hospitality. I was a missionary in Africa for several years. And I will tell you something about Africans. They know how to show hospitality. You come to their door, you cannot leave their house without at least having a drink of water. They've got to give you something. And, and if they, uh, you know, usually it's a lot more than that. And, and they're poor. I mean, people are living in a mud hut. And when you walk in, you hear a child run past you. 
and she's got a little bit of change. And what has happened is the parents said, go buy some sugar, go buy some tea. And they're going to go and come back while you're still there and cook you a pot of tea because that is their culture. There are some cultures that are fantastic in terms of taking care of their neighbor and taking care of their families. These are non-Christian cultures. Where does that come from? God's common grace. Are they dead in their trespasses and sin? Are they not good, like Jesus says, no one is good but God alone? Yeah, they fit that description. But at the same time, they can be people like Barnabas. He was a good man. Now, what else does it say? Oh, it gets a little worse. Romans chapter 3. Turn with me there. This quotes from several psalms. So this is not new to the Apostle Paul. It's, it's been in the Bible a very long time. This description of human beings. Let's start at verse 10 of chapter 3 of Romans. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. Now, I want to just say amen. The Bible is true. Without a doubt, it is true. But one of the problems that we have had, especially in the Reformed community, is we have so focused on this denunciation of human beings in their depravity that we have acted as if God was not at work in them for the common good. And and we have in a sense, created a little Christian ghetto in which we live and interpret the world. And I want to submit to you tonight, that's dangerous. Theologically, absolutely true. People are dead in their trespasses and sins. And, you know, I I like what one part, it says, Jesus did not entrust himself to men because he knew what was in them. Now, compared to God, and by the way, that's who the comparison is with. The the Bible is not comparing some people to other people. It's not saying these are good people, these are bad people. Who are people being compared to? Who's the standard of righteousness and goodness and holiness? God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The standard you and I and every person we know fails to compare with is God himself. So when you read this and say, but that doesn't fit the people I know. I I go to school with people and they're nice and and, and they're loyal to my, you know, I have friends who are non-Christians who are more loyal to me than some of the kids I know in youth group 
who are, are quick to reject me and quick, you know, we, we had a little skit up here about rejection. And sometimes that rejection isn't from non-Christians. Sometimes that re- rejection is in your own church. God have mercy. That shouldn't be that way, but that's life, isn't it? Please understand, theologically, this is 100% accurate about every human being. Before you come to Jesus Christ, you don't do anything good in the sense that it could ever prove to God that you are holy as He is holy. Do non-Christians do good things? Absolutely. Has a non-Christian ever bought a canned good in for a food drive for the poor? Of course. You know, this is something that the homosexual community tries to set itself up against Christians. Because in our country, Christianity has become a political thing. And Christians are often known what they're against rather than what they're for. So the homosexuals have... Be, you know, they, they feel themselves to be a persecuted community and, and so they, they want to take care of each other and they want to comfort each other and, and they want to be loyal to each other. Now, there's a lot of nastiness that goes in there and I don't mean sex. I mean there's a lot of nastiness in terms of, of selfishness and pettiness and disloyalty and, 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 and really being ripped up about your own identity that goes on in the homosexual community that they don't want to talk about publicly. But they like to hold it against the Christian community. We take care of our own better than you do. God have mercy. I want you to understand tonight that in God's common grace, He has allowed people to be and do good. But it is not the level of goodness that would ever relate or compare or equate with the holiness of God. And that's what this is about. See, that goes back to the question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what does the law tell you? And he, he quotes part of the law. Some of you picked that up in Bible study. He doesn't quote all of it. But he, he, he names some of the commandments. And, and, and he says, all of these I've done since my youth. That was a good PCA boy right there. <laughs> he had memorized the confession, the catechisms. He had obeyed all of these all his life. And Jesus said, You know, do this, and you'll live. In other words, if you can keep the law 100% perfect, you can have eternal life. And you can. I think the offer is still good. If anybody here can keep the Ten Commandments absolutely, without fault, perfectly, all the time, every day, for the rest of your life, I think you got a good shot. But it's a big if. Because he even doesn't even want to quote all of the Ten Commandments to this guy. Because you see, there's a heart issue in, in play 
in this man. And it, it doesn't have to do with the way he's treating other people. It's, it's what his idols are. It's what his God is. It's where his coveting is. And those commandments aren't listed because his heart is full of coveting. His heart is full of idolatry. I've got my stuff and I'm not going to give it up. Jesus said, one thing you lack. Oh, but Jesus knows exactly where to point the finger. Sell all that you have. Give it away. Come follow me. At that point, all of this description, there is none good, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God describes this man perfectly. He is dead in his trespasses and sins. And here's one thing about... Uh, have you ever seen roadkill? Have you ever stopped when you've seen roadkill? You know, in Tennessee, we got a lot of possum and a lot of raccoon. We even have stores that have sun-dried possum. Um, it's true. Uh, I, don't, I think it's a joke. I don't think anybody actually buys it. But Have you ever done this? Have you ever jumped out of your car and walked over to the roadkill and tried to teach them pet tricks? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> because dead things don't respond. Dead things don't do tricks. Dead things can't hear. Dead things are dead. And this is the problem with human beings. This is what total depravity is really about. The doctrine of total depravity is not a doctrine that's trying to tell us Christians that there's no good in non-Christians. It's trying to say to us that they are totally unable to respond to God in themselves. They're dead. And there is only one thing. There is only one thing they can respond to. And it's what you responded to on the day you came to faith. Now some of you were raised in the faith, but it was formed in you. And as that forming took place, this was what was happening to you. You could not respond or hear or obey the word of God until grace And the moment grace comes, you are like roadkill that gets life. You're laying squashed in the road, and the squashing isn't so much the sins that drove over you from other people, it's your own sin. It's your own sin that wasted you in the middle of the road. And the only thing that enables you to finally do good to be good is the grace of God. And we're going to talk more about that this week. But I just want you to know if you are saved, you should be deeply thankful. Because what saved you was not yourself. You didn't have it in you to do it. It was the mercy of God. Is that not all right? That God loved you that much? That he came looking down in the world and found you dead in your sins. 
and spoke life to you. And you believed in Jesus Christ and you were saved. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. That's some good stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that it's amazing and that it saves. And saves everybody it touches. Lord, we pray for our fellow human beings in the world, many of whom, Lord, are wonderful people. They make us laugh. They're full of joy. They've got tremendous talents. We love being with them. But they are so dead. They do not know you. We cry out, have mercy. Have mercy on our friends, on our relatives, on our classmates, on the people in our cities, in our country, in this world, and save them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.